0: Welcome to Chinuch Today. I am your host, Rabbi Yerachmiel Garfield. Please join me as we highlight innovative ideas and inspiring people from the world of Chinuch. Hello and welcome to another episode of Chinuch Today. This is Yerachmiel Garfield and this is our anniversary episode. When I started this project, I had no clue how much I would enjoy it, getting to meet people, discuss Chinuch explore great ideas, and that's what it's been. It's really been a labor of love for me, not much labor, but certainly a lot of love, and uh, this episode today is certainly an example of that. I live here in Houston, Texas, with two extraordinary people, rabbis, Rabbi Yaakov and Rabbi Aryeh Wolby, who both work for Torch, which is a Kirov organization. Rabbi Arye Wolby, as you'll hear, is the executive director, and Rabbi Yaakov does a lot of outreach and podcasting. Both of them do a lot of podcasting. They were very comfortable behind the uh, microphones. Mm-hmm. But what was really cool is that their grandfather, who they both spent substantive time as young adults with, was uh, the Machanach extraordinaire, Shlomo Wolbi, who I actually got an opportunity to know because he lived at the end of his life in Givat Shol, and that's where my yeshiva was. And so we would bump into him, and I got to go to some of his shmuzen, I went to his house a few times, and uh, I really feel fortunate that I got to interact with him. You know, there are people who tell stories about meeting a gadol and it really influencing them. I'm sure everyone has different experiences with different gadolim. And I've had the opportunity to have that happen to me once or twice. I've met a lot of great people, but I don't always walk away with such an impression. But meeting Rabbi Wolby and interacting with him was very unique. He had a regal discipline. He had this sense of thought, of reflection in everything he did. It was You could tell that he had worked on himself, that he had developed himself, and he really felt it in his presence. And there was a godless, a greatness to that that he didn't see in other places. And I'm, I really feel fortunate that I was able to see that. Gemara references this idea that Mishalora, either a certain person or a certain experience, that a person who had not seen that can't understand that. The example that comes to mind is that somebody who didn't see the simcha, the simcha's b'shoeva. So I feel similar with my experience with uh, Rabbi Wolby. It's like if you didn't see it, it's hard to explain. And uh, lucky is he whose eyes did see it. And so that limited exposure I had to him, showed me how great he is. Imagine having a chance to sit down with two of his grandsons that literally lived in Givat Shaul and spent time in his house and really got to know him on a much more personal level, of course, is going to shed tremendous light on him as a person and the experience that they had as being the grandchildren of such a hush of a person. It's a fascinating interview. I think you'll enjoy it and uh, just a great opportunity to thank all of my listeners and all the wonderful people who take the time to say hello and to share the podcast etc. you really it's been a really special ride and i'm so happy to celebrate the first year anniversary in this unique way of having two grandsons of Ormola will be talk about what it was like to be in the presence of greatness hope you enjoy okay welcome to another episode of khinakh today Another first for Kenoch today. I've never had two brothers together, and I've never reached out to a cure of professionals to get their perspective on Kenoch. but you will hear there's something very special about this dynamic duo. I'm here with Rabbi Aryeh Wolby, the executive director of Torch, and his somewhat younger brother, Rabbi Yaakov Wolby, the director of global outreach at Torch. Good morning. Hey.
1: Good morning, good morning.
0: Thanks for being here. I always wondered what it would be like to grow up with a famous name. My last name is Garfield. I am famous for that, I must say. It is somewhat memorable, but it's not Wolby. And I remember when I first came to Houston, and I had first one Wolby and then two Wolbies, and then I had two Shlomo Wolbies in my school. It always felt a little funny. Like, how do you discipline a kid whose name is Shlomo Wolby? Lucky for me, that's never been relevant for your children, so I didn't have to experience that. I'm happy you guys are here. And as I mentioned, the name Wolby being so famous because of your esteemed grandfather of Shlomo Wolby, Zecher Sadek Levracha, and I thought he is known as the Mechanach hador, the like, exceptional Mechanach educator of our time. And what an opportunity it is to talk about that a little and see what lessons we could learn and share with our audience about that great lineage. So as I always like to do is find out a little about you. I think we'll start with Arye because you were born first. Where did you guys grow up? So I was born in Jerusalem, raised in
1: New York, and uh, in Brooklyn, New York, and then we moved to Muncie when I was 10 years old. To go back on your introduction yeah. of what it means to grow up with such a name, yeah. So till I was about fifteen years old, it was fabulous. But when I was fifteen, I I moved to Eretz Yisrael on my own, and I went to an Israeli yeshiva, and I saw the two tiers of law enforcement. Like some people, they want to go after, so they get them, and some people they just let them ignore. Let, they let them go. I had that in yeshiva. We are like, if everyone did something. It was fine because we don't expect Goldstein and Goldberg. We don't. Volbe. Oh wow! Oh, you are going to be a count. And, and there was a point where I came to my father and I said, "I want to not only leave this yeshiva, I want to leave this yeshiva and change my name before I go to a different yeshiva." Really? Yeah. I was I was so fed up with being held to a wow. to a certain standard that wasn't fair. I am still a fifteen year old boy. Give me, you know, cut me some slack. And, Baruch Hashem, I try and I do everything I can for my son, whose namesake is my grandfather, to not pressure him to do anything that's not him. You be you. My grandfather was a great man. He was a special person and he did whatever he could to be the greatest he can be. You be the greatest you can be, but you don't have to be him.
0: Wow, that's such a good message. And I, I think as the person being M'chanach, your, your son, and to all the M'chanachem listening who might be in a similar situation, that's a great sensitivity. Not to say to a kid, you know, you're Shlomo Wolbi. Like, what are you doing? That would be really hurtful.
1: I'll tell you, many times over the years I've had people say Shlomo Lechem. Oh, what's your name? And this and that. And then like, what, what, the, what did you say? What was your name? I said, Ariya Wolbi. And they'd stand up. And like, oh, an ankle from the Mashkiach. And it's like, you know. No, I'm still me. Nothing changed. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's people. And for my son, I've seen numerous times where people would say Shalom Aleichem to him and say, you're Shlomo uh, Like, wow. Wow. That's a big name to live up to. And I would always turn to my son and say, don't think that you have to be Saba. You're not Saba. You're you.
2: Isn't there another side to this? Don't we walk around with pride that we're Bnei Avraham, Yitzhak Yaakov. we have to live up to a higher standard. I know we have some relatives who are Kohanim, and I always hear them say, like, you're a Kohen, you have to live up to that. The Gemara tells a story Mm -hmm. about the uh, son and daughter of Rabbi Yishma, Kohen Gadol, the, the last Kohen Gadol that we had, and they were taken captive by the Romans. And they were kind of prepositioned to do something really bad unwittingly. And they, they said, they they, they marshalled their their fortitude and the tenacity to overcome because I am a scion of Aaronic of of Aaron the high priest. There's something to be said about knowing that you come from special stock. You don't come from ordinary stock. Of course, no Jew is ordinary. I know that. But if you come from from uh, Tarsishay Olam, right? It a Tarsishim. You come from giants. You you emanate from from some of the great legends of our time. You should maybe lift up to, to that standard because you do have that greatness and that, uh, you know, that potential maybe coursing within you.
1: Uh, let's 100%. The, but when you have a, a young child who doesn't understand that and you try to put the pressure of a guddle hadar, that's not fair. And then they won't even make it so to
2: first a base. So these two. 100%. I, I remember, I'll tell you a cool story. Never said on the podcast. Not this one and not mine.
0: <laughs> now, with Chibach today, <laughs> breaking news. <laughs>
2: So, when I was in high school, we had our Masifta, our high school, was located on the campus of Arsameach in Muncie. And the head, the dean of Arsameach, was Robert Rakowski, who was a a student to my grandfather. And I was a rumbuntious high school boy, and I would walk around and stomp around and run through the halls. In, uh, in, you know, in, a, in, a, in a way fitting maybe of, an, of, of kids, right? But I remember once I was like, uh, I was marching through the halls of Arsamech and I was either being very loud or you know, a bit obnoxious or something like that. I remember I kind of turned the corner and there's Robert Rakowski. And he's like a kind of a steery, imposing person. And I, you know, and he, I didn't see him, you know, he came from the other side. I remember he took me like this around the shoulder and he grabbed my shoulder and he's like, do you know who you come from? And he started speaking now about my grandfather. But my great grandfather, the great Rabbi Avram greatest Talmud of of it's the doctor. altar, uh, according to Rabbi Yaakov, according to Zechel ki mikra this is my portion with all my toil. Is Rabbi Avram That's what uh, the altar said about him. And he starts speaking about, about him, and I, I found that to be a very formative memory for me to know to know where you come from, know who your ancestors are, know how 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 great they. Became and that DNA courses within your veins. You have the capacity to do that as well. Did
0: you experience any of the negativity? Of
2: course. Me, it was more. I, and it didn't cause me to want to change my name. Other stuff did, maybe.
0: Ah, but the FBI will find <laughs> out. No, 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 not not it.
2: that. Um, but I, I, you know, you the people. People will always say, like, in a you know, mocking, sardonic way. It's not fitting. What would your grandfather? Anything that they disagreed with, they just kind of channeled it. What, would your grandfather approve of that? What does he say about that? Uh, when uh, when the the Rebbe in Yeshiva Kadola, when he uh, encountered me on the bus without wearing a hat, Yeshiva, are supposed to wear a hat? Mm. He's like, so it was me, me and a friend of mine. So he gave us a whole speech on the bus about the importance of a Yeshiva student wearing the Yeshiva garb, nice black hat, nice jacket and he was speaking to him about it and speaking to him and speaking to him and speaking to him and then he says and to you just look at what your grandfather says about that so there's a lot of that but mostly in in good nature you know and yeah there is a certain kind of expectation that other people have for you and you're born ignorant and you're born with nothing and you're born you're totally oblivious to everything and there's a certain bar that people you know a certain standard that people have for you uh, baked, baked into you know your namesake and where you come from and, yeah, there is some downside to that, but maybe that's a good thing. I remember once, <laughs> I remember once um, I was davening Shacharis in a, like a shtiebel in Yerushalayim. So this is like a minion factory, right? So they have a minion anywhere from five to five, right? <laughs> At 12 o'clock you find a minion. So it was like a late minion. It was like after 10, you know, when all the uh, responsible people are ready a few hours into their day. And uh, the laggards are putting on their tefillin. So I remember someone coming in like, Reading my tefillin back, and he's like, "What are you doing here with a name like that? You have no business being here." Uh, so again, there are some uh, these uh, you know little things that. You know, where people, like uh, my brother says, they they hold you to a certain higher standard. But that's uh, that's okay. I guess it comes to the territory. You know, maybe it's a downside, but maybe it's a good side. Maybe it's, maybe it's a good thing to, to know that you are, you come from higher stock, whether it's true or not.
1: I'm
0: sure Ari would agree that there are some benefits to it as well.
1: So. Oh, of course. I, you know, I, I loved every minute of being together with my grandfather. Uh, I want to tell you an amazing story about Chinuch that is not a secret, but... So you don't have to do one of those breaking announcements.
0: Not but, breaking announcement.
1: Uh, I, w- I woke up in yeshiva one morning. I was in Oral Chon in Yeshiva Ketana, which is on Rehovel Kabetz in Givachol. And, you know, regular wake up is at seven o'clock and the guy comes storming into my room. He says, your grandfather's here. Your grandfather's here. So regular, ordinary day. So quickly get dressed like I would every morning and get upstairs into into the Bas Medrash to Davin and my grandfather's sitting right next to my seat with his tallis and on. And with no announcements, no nothing, he just came to daven right next to me. And we davened the whole davening. Didn't say a word, nothing. On the way out, you know, I was helping my grandfather, like, you know, it's nice to see you here, like what, you know. And that's it, and I just, I walked out with him, I walked him to his house, I had breakfast with him like I had had many times, and that was it. I was always wondering, like, why did he show up in Yeshiva? Like, like. and it's, to me, it's obvious. Like, I was, I was dealing with a lot in that, you know, it was a total culture shock for me. I moved from New York to Eretz myself without my parents there. And I went to it. It's in like an Ivy League Yeshiva. It's like the best of the best go there. I only went there not because I was... The right fit for the yeshiva, but because my grandfather's talmud was the Rosh yeshiva, so he called him up. He said, "My, my grandson is coming from America. Can you take him into the?" She was like, "Oh, of course, no problem." But I, I couldn't read a gemara, I couldn't read a, a pasuk, I couldn't I, nothing. Hmm. And I went into. I remember seeing these bachurim in the yeshiva reading gemara like it was a New York Times, you know, newspaper. And and I was no, but they were they were pounding. Daf after, wow. daf after daf mesechtas after daf, mesectas after mesectas, and I'm struggling reading arba avos nizikin. Like reading, never mind understanding. And it was a, it was it was a point where my brother told me my parents were so concerned that I was just mm-hmm. going to drop out of yeshiva. Baruch Hashem, that wasn't on my mind, and and I was in for the fight, and, and it was it was the most incredible time of my life because I had to punch way over my weight. And eventually got to the point where I was, hopefully, up to par with the rest of the guys. It took a year, a year and a half, but it was a tremendous struggle. My grandfather sensed it. Hmm. See, he's like, what can I do to give him chizuk? You know, what is he going to talk to my rabbi? Like, what? Hmm. You know, it's like I hardly spoke the language when I got there. Wow. But he could come sit in daven next to me and give me that feeling. And he knew his weight of what he carried. And the COVID that it would bring to me and the infusion of positivity that it would bring to me that like all the Bach, I'm like, wow, like a gadol came to Davin in our yeshiva. And walking out with him, you know, holding his tefillin bag it was like the whole thing, you know, it's like just to build me up.
2: And I want to add another point. I'm sure there's, there's a lot more to be said in this area, the benefit, so to speak, of growing up with a famous grandfather and a famous last name. I know for certain... That our grandfather, Davind, prayed for our well-being and our success. Mm. I know that for certain. And sometimes I kind of, you know, pinch myself, pinch myself, and say, like, you know, how did we do this? You know, how did my father, like the family he built, is just on building parents, like just the, the the family that they have and the the, the the kids, and the success that they're seeing with their with their progeny. It's really uh, unusual. It's, it's unusual. And I know the answer. The answer mm. comes from his prayer and, and the, the righteousness and of, of our illustrious antecedents. That that's playing out in, in, in our lives as well. And you know, I, I believe that uh, wholeheartedly. You know, we have the big guns uh, fighting on our behalf.
1: Beautiful. That's the feel of the parents. I will tell you an amazing story. My brother and I asked my grandfather, what what's the secret to your greatness? Like what like how did you get there? Like mm. And he said that although he grew up in a non-religious home, for those of you who are listening now and didn't know that, it's a big shocker to many people. Like what? He grew up non- from home. He said that More, every morning,
2: marginally religious, perhaps not a Haredi home,
1: <laughs> definitely not. <laughs> the the he said that his mother every morning when she would tie his shoes would whisper in his ear, "Go be a Talmud Chacham, go learn Torah, go be a Yerushalmi." Mm. And he says that those tefillahs are the tefillahs that helped him succeed. Wow.
2: I will tell you that I did hear from Rav Hamnick, who was the mashtiach of my grandfather's favorite yeshiva, Yad Aaron, which all of us, all, Except for seven, me. <laughs> all seven of us besides for Arya, we all went to this yeshiva. So he told us that um, when I was in the yeshiva, yeah, I was with my older brother Yoni. He was there at that time. We overlapped. Yoni was there for the duration. He was there for, you know, seven, eight years. I, I couldn't handle more than a year and change. But he went to my grandfather. And he said, the "Boy's are doing so well. He might have uh, embellished that, <laughs> shall we say. "Boy's are doing so well. So, Saba says, my grandfather said, it's the schus of the chazanish. It's the merit of the chazanish. Because my, my, my father's sandek hmm. was the chazanish. So, he said... He, he he pinned all the success, so to speak, on the Khazanish and, and, and Rav and and says, Well, what about you? Oh, yeah, you know, you kinda of downplayed that. But again, I know I know for certain, I know for certain that he prayed intensively on our behalf. And uh-huh. you know as we're did we're,
1: our, as did our mother.
2: Of course. And we, and you you enjoy those those fruits, you know. Uh, forefather Jacob.
0: A Yaakov, for those A Yaakov, who are listening to my yeah, crowd.
2: He described Tefillah, prayer, as shooting an arrow. mecharbi ubekashti. He says he won a war with the sword and his bow. Sword, said Rashi, that's Talmud Torah. This is the final verse of chapter 48 of Genesis. Peret memchas. Beginning of Parshish Vayechi. He won a war with a, with a sword and a bow with Torah and Tefillah. Tfila is a bow. It, goes, it, goes, it travels great distance. Mm. And, and Tfilahs, like the Tfilahs of Avraham Avinu, we still go back to them because they're still efficacious even now. So I, I really feel like we, you know, that is some real ammunition that we have um, helping us thanks to our uh, very illustrious, meritorious,
0: pious antecedents. Do you know what it was about Yad Aaron that he found so special, that yeshiva?
1: I think there are a number of components. I think firstly is that it was a smaller yeshiva, and it was the yeshiva that was focused on the Talmidim. Hmm. There was a very close relationship with the Talmudim between the Rabbeim and the Talmudim. Many of the yeshivas are too big and too understaffed to handle and really be Mechanach. It means many yeshivas are just the yeshiva because it's a yeshiva. You come to learn and finished. But they don't feel the sense of a to be the, you know Even, even in Kail. You know, just because a guy's married doesn't mean that he doesn't need Chinuch. And I feel that it's a tremendous flaw in many of the Qadulim that they're just, you're there, you come, you learn, you get paid, if you get paid, and, and go home. But there's no relationship of Chinuch with the Hanhala, which is, I think, a flaw. Yeah, listen,
2: my grandfather would lament this more than anything else, the fact that there's generations, in his words, generation, generations of very serious yeshiva students that are growing up without any chinuch, to use his words. That's what he says. There's, there's no chinuch. And he, you know, we, we know we spoke about this before we started recording, uh, about the altar of Slobato, which is the, you know, the greatest pedagogue of all time. He was reprimanded by his teacher, who was the altar of Kelm, because he had too many students, because hmm. you know, there 300 students. There were in Kelm, there were 40 students. That's it. The whole Talmud of Kelm, 40 students. And he said to him, how could you be mechanic when you have 300 students? You're not, you're not raising Talmidim. You're raising hats, he told him. And my grandfather said about himself that he matches out. I think I, I heard different accounts, either at 60 students or at 100 students. He could be, he could be responsible for the flourishing of between A either, either 60, 60 or 100 uh, students, or 99. They wanted to keep it less than 100. And then my uncle... He should live and be well. My grandfather's hand-selected son-in-law, Rav Erlanger was the mashkiach in the Mir in Flatbush. He said, well, if Saba could handle 60 Talmidim, I could handle 30. Mm. But the point is, is that you have yeshivas today. Someone told me this recently. There are more than 15 yeshivas in Israel with more than 1,000 students. Wow. How could you possibly know? How could the Mashtiach or the reshiva or the Bachanach whatever, how could they know what 1,000 guys are going through? 1,000 guys are going through. He, my ref, he used to talk about Rabbi Rucham, the legendary Rebbe when he came back to the Mir Yeshiva after World War I. With, and there were 300 bachim there in the Yeshiva. So he was the, he, he was the head of the Yeshiva. He was the mashgiach, but he was you know, functionally the head of the Yeshiva before the war. After the war, the, the Yeshiva was fragmented, it scattered, he came back. After three months, after three months, Rabbi Rucham said, I know the qualities of every single Bachar in this yeshiva, 300 wow. Bachar, and most of them, they're flaws as well. That's a real mechanic, to actually know, to have a sense of the of the spiritual physiology, the spiritual makeup of your Talmidim, and to know how to, how to guide them, how to direct them. What's his dare? how do you know? So a real pedagogue, a real mechanich, is someone who's able to really understand the chudas and nefesh, the qualities, the shorosh and the, shama, the essence of, of their talmidim, and Rabbi Ruham was the master of, uh, of that. Yad Aaron is a vestige of those yeshivas of the past. Most, they, 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 that, that kind of chinuch, sadly, is basically extinct. Basically extinct. That's why my grandfather wrote Aleh Shur, Volume 2. It's a self-serve form of chinuch, form mm-hmm. of adracha. That's what he, he writes. He says, it doesn't exist anymore. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna preserve I'm gonna preserve this way of of, of training that way it can be a you know self serve guide for people growing up in a world. Beautiful.
0: I believe the Baal Tanya says the same thing about the Tanya. Why he wrote it was well, because he wanted to make it a self study for people who want a initiation into Hasidah, So It's a precedent for that.
1: So you're probably wondering why I didn't go to that yeshiva. Yeah. But One of the rabbin, reverel Baruch Eisenstein, Zeche Tzaddik Levrachah the year before i was going to yeshiva G'dayla, which i was going to go to yadaron he left the yeshiva and opened his own yeshiva mm. and my grandfather thought it was best that i go to learn by him because he was in yadaron mm. and he left yadaron started his own yeshiva and i was very 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 close with him very close for years till he was nifter and an interesting thing about always having a Rebbe, a mechanach, someone to look after your spiritual well being. A few days before he was Nifter, obviously unbeknownst to me that he was going to pass away a few days later, I was walking with my brother Yoni and uh, we were walking down uh, Panimi Roth, Sorotskin, mm-hmm. where I lived and where my Rebbe lived. And we were passing by his house Friday night and we're like, you know what, let's just go and say good Shabbos to Rebbe. I went in, I knew he wasn't feeling well, but I didn't know that he was deathly ill and he was slumped over his Gemara, and I asked him, Rebbe, how are you doing? How's, how are things going? So he says to me, like in a, in a confusion, like, where are you learning now? I was in Kail by Rebbe Berkowitz, or Bitzchuk and he says, oh, he's a Yashar. Make him your Rebbe.
0: Hmm.
1: I said, Rebbe, are you going someplace? And sadly, three days later, he was Nifter. Wow. And I went from the Levaya, I went straight to Rebbe Bitzchuk and I said, Shalom Aleicho, Rebbe. Rabbi Umairi. And I said, you know, if you're gonna be my Rebbe, I need to have quality time so you get to know me and I, you know, that we can, and we spent a significant amount of time every week together learning Biharusa, the uh, teachings of my great-grandfather, Bram Grzynski, one of his favorites, Terrace Teres Ram. And in the process, he got to know me very, very well. Until this very day, I learned with Rabbi Rookitz, so I talked to him every week. Wow. And. There are many times I'll ask him for guidance, counsel, which is only appropriate based on knowing who I am. And there are times where he'll say, I know you, and either do this or don't do this, you know, based on what he knows about me. Do
0: you think it's realistic me. on a macro level
1: for everyone to have a relationship like that with a rabbi? Maybe not with the same person, but I'm sure oh. there are plenty of rabbis out there who yeah. are, I hope that are qualified to get to know their Talmidim well enough to give them uh, guidance I do think and this is a,
2: a two-sided problem, I would agree to your point, that there's um, a dearth of people who want Rabbeim on one side, but there's also a dearth of people that are willing to give themselves over to their Talmidim, to their students, right, to their I mean, charges. the way
0: you're describing it, it's quite a serious commitment on Rabbi Berkowitz's. On so, both sides, yeah. on both sides.
1: Look, you have to pursue it. You have to pursue it, and it's not going to come easy and— I fought, I, I literally drove him crazy until he gave me the time. I would be waiting outside his office every time that door opened. I'm like, does Rebbe have a minute? And like, and, and, and Mamish nudging him till he gave in and he relented. And guys think it's just gonna be like, oh, I'll set up, a, I'll, I'll ask him. Oh, he said he doesn't have time. And so I guess it's just not gonna happen. Right. If you're not gonna fight for it, if it's not important enough for you, to really, really pursue it, it's not gonna happen. No no rabbi's calling his Talmud saying, Hey, you didn't call me today, why didn't you call me for advice? He has he's a very busy person. I have to fight for his time because it's very valuable it's to me. It's only got harder over the years, right? And and Bar Hashem, every time I've made the attempt to reach Rebbe, I was able to. Wow. You know, he knows it's important. I'm not driving him nuts. I'm not asking him right about now, the score kind of, of the Astros. Right. I'm asking him important things that are either relevant to me personally, to my family, to my key, to the kahila, to to the organization, to our students, to Klal Yisrael. So you know, it's dealing with a lot of different things, and he knows I'm not wasting his time. There are times we have a set a lot of time. There are times where i I I only have five minutes of questions, not 15 minutes. I say, Rebbe, I'm I'm done. Your time is precious. I'm not going to just schmooze for the next okay. 10 minutes because I have this time. I know your time is important to you and to Klal Yisrael. So you know, nice.
0: I was lucky enough to learn in Givachal near your grandfather's house, and got to interact with him all those years. I was there in 94 to 98. Pressburg. Pressburg, and then he opened the yeshiva down the block on top of uh, Giv- Berchad Rachel. Berkha Rachel. Berkha I used to go Friday night to Shmuzin, and I, I got to speak to him a few times. And one of the things that really stands out in my mind is the way he held himself, the way he would carry himself. Extremely distinguished and disciplined. You, didn't, you got the sense that he took life seriously, and he almost took every move seriously. Like That was the impression I got at that time. And I'm curious, as a grandfather growing up with him, was he, did he had two modes? Was he more playful? Was there a side of him that we didn't get to see? What was he like behind the doors of his apartment? Well, you're
2: describing him, I think, very accurately, that he, he was very measured. Uh, and this is actually one of the hallmarks of all the Bali Musa is that uh, they would not move unless it was calculated. You know, the aforementioned Altar of Kelm, my grandfather writes this. I could show you the citation later. I'd have a lot of citations I need to show you. He says, uh, my grandfather says about him, his eyes never moved. His eyes never moved. If he wanted to see something to the side, he would move his whole head. His Mm -hmm. eyes were laser focused right in the middle and he would move his whole head. And uh, you know, Rabbi used to always speak about uh, covid roche, about uh, about having a certain you know gravity, where you're not just a uh, yo-yo, gyrating to every whim of the eight sahara. You're in control. I, I would say the essence of Musr is self-control, where your higher intelligence, your das, is determining your behavior, not just you know, oh, you hear a noise, oh, back and forth. What do you think? I need this. I want that. And you drink. You're, no, you're in charge. You're, you're kind of your higher self. Your Overconscious, not unconscious. Mm-hmm. The, the the neshama really is determining your behavior. That's that's the Balimuser in general. But he definitely had a very very playful uh, persona, and he, he was uh, he was so sweet, so funny,
1: uh, great sense of humor.
2: Yeah, hysterical. <laughs> great sense of humor.
1: <laughs> really, but, but it, I'll put it into perspective in yeah. a second. Like we never talked about sports, cars, and uh, baseball or any sports, and that was not a. I mean, that was not in the realm of. Kedusha in the realm of holiness, in the realm even you know, of family things that he was involved with. But it, you, you couldn't have just a conversation about just worldly things. It wasn't uh, you didn't talk politics with him. It wasn't you, no schmooze, like small talk. But I will tell you an example that my grandfather gave many many times about Rosh, is like people swing their head without even thinking about what they're doing. He'd say. So right now, this is, I remember, this is in Chumashir that he was giving in Givachol, He's saying, if someone walked into the door now, into the room, how many people would turn their head to look who it is? Mm. What does it make a difference who it is? But if someone behind you says, Kaddish, everybody turns around. It's because there's no, there's no kvados rush. there's no. Why am I doing what I'm doing, I'm about to do, and to think about it before you do it. My grandfather, we would have a vod with my grandfather of all the grandchildren the day before this man, we did this many, many times. My grandfather repeated the same thing over and over again. And what he would say was, you need to work to overcome your impulse three to five times a day. What does that mean? You have an impulse. Right now I, I want to take a go leave the base and go get a drink. You know what? I'm gonna do it in three minutes. Just to have control, self-control, three to five times a day intentionally to overcome your impulse. Wow. And that, the benefit of that is, number one, is you get that creative dusroish of, you know, you don't just do things. You think about it before you do it. But also, it helps you in a very practical way. If you're about to get angry, but you're trained to overcome your impulse, you can overcome that anger because of it. And it's the same thing with every every that you can Transform. think of. It, it's because you're thinking before you're doing.
2: Well, he writes that that's what das is. You know, das is the it's a hard word to translate, but it is described as the alpha character characteristic. Because with that you can acquire everything, like the Gemara says. Thomas says that with one characteristic you could get everything. Well, what's that? It's das. It's the capacity to. They made a
0: famous song out of it. Yes, Green,
2: mm-hmm. did The obey kula obey? Whoever has das, you have everything. If you don't have das, you have nothing.
0: I think I read Rabbi Zalantzer said that his main focus was das atzmacha, idea atzmacha. if that's the same idea.
2: It's a, it's a similar idea, but but the way he describes das is that you know you have a higher the, the your, your your intelligence, your neshama really is determining your behavior, not your sorry, your impulses. And uh, and the way and he quotes Rabbi that the way you do that is that you train yourself to to reject your whims, and your uh, your petty impulses.
0: I think his background is really interesting. Arya, you mentioned that he came from a more secular background or less observant background. Whatever that exactly means, we'll leave that for the biography that hopefully is coming out sometime. I'm sure we'll not mention that. But how do you think his childhood impacted how he saw the world or how he evaluated the world as a, from rabbi?
1: I, I don't know. Yaakov probably can answer this much better than I can. He's done significantly more reading into my grandfather's logs and books and writings and diaries than I did. But I, I think it, it's remarkable how normal he was coming from the background that he came from. He didn't grow up in a yeshiva world. Mm-hmm. He immersed himself in that yeshiva world when he went to the mirror and completely took it over. He absorbed it 100% and that became who he was. So, you know, whatever he grew up with and the whatever, let's call it, quote, baggage he had growing up, uh, that was out. Mm. I,
2: I'd push back on that a little bit. Rabbi Rucham was very dedicated towards his development as a student. And he's German, grew up in Berlin, but not, not just can he didn't just live there? He he was German in in, in character. He's very precise and very meticulous and very thought out and you know, an an engineer kind of mind, and a very Yekish, as we would say, very precise. And uh, first of all, the acute story is that uh, my grandfather was once davening with Rabbi I think that has different minion, or whatever. And he, he he closed his eyes to daven and then he opened up his eyes and middle was davening and he sees eight inches from his nose is Rabbi Ruchim staring at him. <laughs> Can you imagine how <laughs> terrifying that is? Staring because he's really trying to study him. He's a real <laughs> pedagogue. He's really trying to study and understand him. But uh, there was a story when, when my grandfather arrived to yeshiva to the mirror. Rabbi Ruchim was having a conversation with some of the more senior students. About what do we do with this new project? You know, this this new Shlomo slash Wilhelm. His father named him Wilhelm after after the Kaiser, most likely. You know, his name was Wilhelm. All the Germans had secular names, so his name was Wilhelm. Shlomo was his uh, Jewish name, but he was known as Wilhelm. What do we do with him? You know, how how do we how do we figure out how to how how to build him? So the guys all said, "You have to, (laughs) yeah, his Jüdischkeit." His, his, his German character trait is just too much. You have to rip that down. And he says, no, you have to build him on it. You mm-hmm. have to take that and use that to build, so to speak, his spiritual edifice. And I think if you look at, his, at the legacy that he built, you see a lot. Of course, any of the heresy, so to speak, that he was exposed to, he completely uh, repudiated including, by the way, including psychology. He started off as being much more receptive to secular psychology. And then he made a complete 180 uh, where he completely repudiated it. When was that? I have a letter. I have a letter where he writes, he, he details his, his change and shows how secular psychology is really against Torah. So he, he does change. He does talk about psychiatry. Are we talking as did,
0: like in the, in the 70s, and the 80s? I,
2: I don't know. I, I don't want I, I to. I think it was probably in the, in the 70s or 80s. Was I mean, later it was, on it was
0: it was deep into his from life. It wasn't like he, It's something he, that really he worked on and thought about and years of reflection yes, and came to that yes, conclusion. Yes, he came to the conclusion
2: that Chazal, Chazal are the, uh, the best at this at, in in human psychology. And the second psychology is psychology, it's corrupt. And it's wrong. That's a conclusion he, he arrived at. You and
0: at. I started an essay... About psychiatry, yeah,
2: psychiatry and religion, yeah, it's an amazing. So essay. was that before? No, I think that that he that he he stood by psychiatry versus psychi- psychology. Oh, got yeah. it. Okay. But if you look at his at his Torah, at his persona, at his at his legacy, at his voluminous writings, you do see, I think, some of the uh, fingerprints of of his upbringing. You know, his father was a was an academic. His father was a linguist. His father was a writer, which are you know. Traits that you would you associate a lot with kind of you know the German stereotype you know thought out you know history and you know th- thinking about things but being very precise you know language you see that in his writing you, see, you know, the language in his writing in his writings is just masterful his command of language we you know he himself he wrote books in 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 Swedish because he was in Sweden during the war he wrote a book in Swedish like <laughs> he had a command of the language he he adopted it and language uh, to such an extent that he was able to actually write of, a full-length book wow. in in Swedish but. In, in general, I think his his Torah was was very brilliant. It, it wasn't so much um, the kind of traditional musur that we think of as um, you know where people just you know say things that feel good. And, you know, it was all based upon chazal and building, 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 building a, a, an entire treatise starting from from the bottom and building up until you, you create this you know incredible picture, incredible portrait. That is, to me, a little bit more of a, kind of an academic. You know, a brilliant academic way to uh, to, to portray Taurus. So I think that yes, he did repudiate uh, a lot of the German, uh, you know, the German upbringing to a certain extent. Anything that was not Torah, and he did not go with the opinion of Rav Hirsch. He was not, even though they had the same, the same birthday, um, which uh, is maybe of note. Um, but he did not go with the opinion uh, of, of Torah Derech He he didn't believe in that, and he actually pushed back against people that because you know he didn't think that that was the right way the right way to go. But I think. You, you look at his unique persona and his unique personality and his unique contributions and his unique way of, of, of approaching problems, I think you do see still some of the, the good parts, if you will, of his German
0: uh, upbringing. As you were describing that, I was thinking about uh, Ruvian Leichter, the Mashkiach, who I think was one of the major Talmidim of yes. Of, Yes, yeah, and he also has a very creative approach and a very unique, and I think he has interesting background too. I'm not exactly sure what it is, but
2: very similar to my grandfather.
0: Interesting, right? And he Swiss, uh,
2: yeah, but also is a baltuva,
0: mm-hmm. who who didn't, you know, that creative thinking, that willin- willingness to rethink something, mm-hmm. which is what it takes to become a baltuva, right? You have to be open to rethinking things you thought you knew, and and live with those conclusions. I think is very much part of that. You know, mm-hmm. Which makes me ask you, who do you think is continuing his legacy most? I mean, outside of the family, I don't want to make this uncomfortable for you, but are there any particular people who you feel really were star Talmudim, so to speak, who, who you would look to to discuss what he might have thought or his mission?
1: I think probably Rev Leuchter and Rev Uri Weisblom. Rav Uri is the Mashkiach in in Haifa.
2: Oh, wow. Americans don't know who he is. <laughs> he's, he's, <laughs> on <the mayaces. laughs> he's on the Meitzas. He's on the matzas. <laughs> so you a sense of, of the <laughs> kind of caliber. Is <laughs> he there? Is he right there? He does. What do they call it? Ha'aras, ha'aras, ha tfila, ha'aras, a bunch of Ha'aras stuff. <laughs> <laughs> ha'aras, lots of Ha'aras. Hey, Aleph with an Aleph. Not a Ha'ara, like mm. an insight. Oh, like Or. Yeah, illumination. Yeah, the illumination mm. of Tefillah, illumination of... Not available in English, yeah. sadly. Um, but what I think it is, it, it is unique about... But all the all the Pali Musar is that they all charted their own path. My grandfather was different than Biruchum's other, other Talmudim. You know, he, he, people couldn't even believe that he would become the bearer of Rabbi Ruham's legacy, which he did become, because there were so many bigger Talmudim, you know, in, in, in his time. But you look at Biruchum's Talmudim, you know, and Ramnacham Pratsavic or Rab David Pavarsky, you know, uh, or Blaib Blade Malin, these, you know, or Levis, these are all go olam giants. Uh, and the ultimately of uh, Yibiruchem, to you know, to a certain extent, and, we're, and they each kind of built their own way. And my grandfather did a, did, the, did the same personally, but also with his talmidim. Or Weisblum, i ever mentioned of Leichter. Are very different. very very different. <laughs> they're very different, and and, and yeah. that's a good thing. The, so maybe there, is a, there, there be... wasn't
1: a mold where he uh, said yeah. you're, you're going to fit into this mold, and anybody who sees him says, oh, that's it. Each one is
0: uniquely different.
2: That's chinuch, right? Yeah. Everyone
1: has to be different.
0: Our it's our really friend. interesting because I'm reading a uh, mussar sefer now that's uh, somewhat historical, and it was contrasting kelm and slabotka, and that was one of the key characteristics that it contrasts, That kelm did have a more identifiable tzura, and slabotka dafka didn't. Yeah. So it sounds like your grandfather was really a Talmud of, of both, or he was more of a Kelmer, but yet he took on this, uh, this aspect, was more Slabotka.
2: Well, I, I think that certainly he, you know, he would attribute uh, his Mahalach more to Rabbi Rucham than anyone else. And the idea of creating a certain generic kind of Talmud was completely, completely anathema to him. If anyone's just doing things because everyone else does it, going with the flow, just being the same and not really developing their own creative personality and their and own... relationship profesh, with Hashem. Yeah. And relationship yeah. with, with Hashem, Like, that to him would be totally intolerable because that's the antithesis of Chinuch. It's antithesis of, of, of Chinuch. To, to, to just be generic in any way. He's to like to, like quoting the Chazal, "Tamu Chacham Shemes is irreplaceable, the Gemara says. The Gemara says you cannot replace. Ain't even though it's not really lush the Gemara, but there's no Tmur, there's no replacement. Everyone else to be replaced. A real time is someone who is so unique, they're not replaceable because there is no parallel. So the idea of, of, of finding a, a certain mold and this is our type, that is um, uh, definitely against uh, against the, the vision of um, our grandfather. Who is upholding the legacy? Listen, I think he was really worried that Moser... Is dying. He was really, really, really worried about that. in In his tzavah, in his last will and testament, much of it is dedicated towards the perpetuation of the base of Musur and Musr and, and to, to announce by the Levi that the base of Musur will continue. And he and he would again, he would really, really lament the fact that Musar is is dying, and it's it's sad because, like we said earlier, there's just you know generations of of kids being born and being raised without chinuch. And that is a disaster.
0: Is Musar the same thing?
2: I think so. It's, it's a certain kind of, it's, it, it, it is a form of Chinuch. Yeah, I think so.
0: I mean, yeshivas have Musar seders. The modern yeshivas have He differentiated time. between
2: Liman Musar and Chachmas
0: Musar. Okay.
2: And Avodah a Musar. Uh, you know, he said that, yes, thankfully, he wrote this, thankfully, uh, the, you know, the perfunctory, you know, check the box, Musar still present in most yeshivas, not all, but most, but the, 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 the chachmas Musr, the Vodas Musr, the, the actually application layer of Musr is um, sadly kind of going extinct.
0: Mm. Do you find yourselves trying to fulfill that in your own lives, in your own Avodas Hashem?
1: I do. I try to.
0: Like to really uh-huh. um, harken back to the Musr that your grandfather was talking about?
1: Look, I, I make a tremendous effort to learn my grandfather's tirah as much as i can because mm-hmm. it brings me back into that realm it brings me back into that you know making a qiyas for for Masur every day making a qiyas of like learning what my grandfather says of the say this that every bantair needs to needs to learn and have a a grasp on so definitely to me it's you know obviously there are things that always need chizuk, but um to try to live up to that uh Expectation is definitely something in the forefront.
2: I, I feel very guilty that I don't learn Moser Be'es the way Rab- Yisrael, What does that mean to well, those that, that, was that was the Kiddush of right? the Kiddush, the insight of Rebbe Yisrael. It's not just Limit of Moser, it's Moser which is a like form of... Like an indoctrination. You no, know, it's more more than that. It's not indoctrination. No, it, it's a form of really self-hypnosis hmm. where you, you take... He told you how to learn Musser. Well, so a Dulkos, your lips are aflame, but a spilus with, with a certain, I don't know how to translate a spilus. Um, Inspiration? Know, mm, excitement. Yeah, excitement? It's a certain, yeah, certain, certain excitement. When energy. But you take a, a citation of Musser and you think about it and you understand it and you read it and then you sing it and you repeat it again and again until it just enters your bones and changes you forever. That was his system.
0: It's so, funny because I'm reading the Sefer that I mentioned to you and it talks about that a little and the hours that were spent on that and my initial reaction was, what Bittel taira? <laughs> like, think about Gedolay Olam spending an hour or two hours on a mantra.
2: Listen, we know what the Chavetz Chaim, the Chavetz Chaim was definitely a proponent of this. First of all, he wrote it in, in, in Mishabur. But there are stories. He of, writes about what? About learning a half hour muster a day. Really? First page. Of course, of course. <laughs> But he would do it. There are, there are testimonies of people hearing and saying again and again and again and again. Uh, you know, a certain... I forgot what the... What the what, 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 I, think, I think it was. I think it was, I think it was um, don't quote me here. I think it was... <laughs> You're it was quoting vorm. yourself. Damayin <laughs> Basani. He would say it again and again and again and again and again. Who's the grandfather No, no it's, it's all time. time. So um So, mm. but I, I do feel... I like to, to point I do feel guilty because I know how powerful it is. Like Really? The, 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 the absolute... Uh, people that put... All the psychologists, Jung, and uh, and 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 Freud, and all of them to shame, are the masters of mussar. Are Rabbi are the Alter, any version of one of them you want? And they said this is the way to do it. If one of Muslim our listeners
0: spirals. wants to learn more about that, how mm-hmm. would they access that?
2: Rabbi Rup- Israel says, if you want to change, change without mussar is like seeing without an eyeball. It's like see. It's like hearing without ears. That's the words that he says. Wow. It's not possible. It's not possible. Not possible, and again, he, and he outlined the way to do it, and it works. You look at the bali Balimusser, and they, they're, they're 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 princes of humans, princes. So where is this outlined? I mean, or in the same area, of course. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah And and you can Saba find you know, my sure.
1: grandfather has a whole Hadrachal Yeah, is that Chayal Galav?
2: Chayal Galav. Chayal Yeah. So I, I do feel guilty, and I, I mean I, that is no, I know, I know, I know, I know that this is how you actually change this is it um i do like my brother um uh, says i do really really try to learn my grandfather's tire a lot and i try to perpetuate it in my in my classes in my podcast by the way can i make a shout out for my podcast of course so all the listeners to the Chinoch today podcast
0: it's only a thousand bucks go ahead help yourself <laughs> uh
2: yeah if you like uh what we have to say here both my brother and i are uh, proud hosts of um, a bevy of podcasts. Just put in Walby. A bevy? Bevy, bevy. A bevy. A slew. A slew of podcasts. I think just
1: between the two of us, we have 11 podcasts, no? A
2: lot. Wow. A lot. Thousands of... So uh, you could just put in Wolby or whatever you... Whatever, yes, whatever I must
0: happened. say that Yaakov Wolby was a mentor of mine in the podcast area. And, fast fact, he named the Chinook Today podcast, Chinook Today. That's right.
2: That's why I get a free shout-out without being a house. That's right. okay.
0: we'll, we'll credit you. Uh, but
2: in my, in my work, I always try to... Beautiful. You know, we had a discussion earlier about Chinoch. We had a nice spirited debate that was not recorded, maybe for our next episode, if I get invited back, if I'm not blacklisted. But I, I did say that, you know, my grandfather says something, and to me, that's authoritative. You know, if, if he says it, that's it. To me, that's <laughs> um, So I do try to learn my grandfather's Torah, perpetuate it in any way that I can. Uh, but I, I do, you, you hit a sore point that I really do feel guilty that even though I do learn Musar, um, and I do learn my grandfather's Torah, and I do try to perpetuate it, the Musar Be'Hispailos, which takes is the actual Musar.
0: Um, f- you know, space of mind. Is that an expression? Mm-hmm. It takes a lot of, uh, you have to have space for it, right? You have to have time. has to be quiet. Who has an hour and a half of time to yeah, like? Half hour, half hour a day. Okay. Listen, uh, you look at
2: any one of the giant, The Ramchal, Ramchal says that you have to. The Gemara says. The Gemara says that you have to do and nefesh. Mm-hmm. It's a Gemara. It's not. Uh, it's not. It's not some new age Muslim Some Wolbyism. Yeah, it's like it's the Gemara. The Gemara says that the, the people that are, are the ones that actually change are the ones uh, who who do a and nefesh. Al kein yomru ha moshlem Who is the Moshe? Who is the one who controls their 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 yitzhahara? Which is all we're trying to do. It's those who, who, who said, bahu chashma, bahu, bahu let's make mm-hmm. a cheshman a nefesh. And Rabbi Ramchal writes, that it's the most valuable of uses of your time. And he says you should do it, ready, a minimum of an hour a day. Right. <laughs> Ramchal. So if it's the
0: best use of your How time. How many people alive today are doing that? What do you think?
2: An well, hour of his hispailos a day? Well, you know, this is just for clarification. Rabbi, Rabbi Sol says, do a half hour of Muslim his hispailos every day. Ramchal says an hour because of chesh Benavish. Benavish. A, a minimum, sorry, a minimum of an hour of chesh mm.
1: every single Which, day. Which, by the way, Breslov says as well. Yes. An hour?
2: Though, yes. Yes. Even though I okay. think it might be a little bit different, the, 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 the work of the the Breslov. Book, yeah. right. The
1: method is different, but to, definitely.
0: Okay. So maybe the last ones that were doing it is, 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 well, is Breslov. Let's take a moment and talk about Mrs. Wolby the, the, the Meshkiach's wife. I, don't, I know doesn't. she was the daughter of, as you mentioned, the great Taras Avram, Avram Gazinsky. I don't know much more about her or what she brought to the relationship and the experience. I thought maybe that would be of interest.
1: I was very close with my grandmother. She was a very, very special lady. And it's hard, I, 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 I've never been able to put words to our relationship. We just had a certain love that was just, it was just a joy. Every time I came to the house, it was, it was a fun time we had together. We would laugh together, we would, we would kibitz, we, would, we, we, just, we, we had a very, very close relationship. And uh, she even at times when she was getting a little older and she needed uh, medical oversight and I was not an EMT at the time, uh, so she taught me how to check her blood pressure and I'd come every night and check her blood pressure, and she, you know, we would laugh. You know, she'd call me Doctor Volbe, <laughs> and it was it was a real. We had a, we just had a great time together. She was a very very special woman. She'd go learn mishnais every day with. Her. They had this women's club in Givat where the women would uh, would learn Mishnayis together, and they would they would you know she'd go. Yeah, it was like. What I, like I, I don't know, I don't know, but she was in, you know, aside for Tehillim groups and all the other things that, you know, she was involved with. But she was, really every okay. time, every Friday, there was a, a bag filled with cakes for all of the grandchildren. Hmm. Every gran- grandchild came That's to a visit. Lot. Yeah, every grandchild yeah. would come to visit and they'd get their, get their, their stock for the, uh, for the week. Wow. It was uh, an incentive She came over.
0: I know she was born in Slobodka, I guess. And how did she... She escaped before the war, or did she suffer during the war?
1: After the war. She came after the
0: war. Yeah, well, um, she went through
2: the horrors of the war, and she wrote a book about it, which I recommend everyone reading it, Faith in the Night. Ve'emunascha balelos. So I would recommend that.
1: Published by Israel Bookshop?
2: Published... Just, I don't know, Google it. They just reprinted it. It's an amazing, amazing work. But I, I, I would say more about her. She was a great grandmother, you know? you know, great as in descriptive. But she was, she had, first of all, she, she had a nobility to her. She, she had a nobility to her that was very uncommon, very uncommon. Um, her father was like that as well. Her father was like a Malach Hashem. You know, but she she had this nobility that's just hard to capture in words. Uh, she also had a, a strength of character, uh, almost like a like a, a steely vise in, in a pleasant way, all all with pleasantness. But what she endured in her life, we cannot even fathom. You know, her mother died when she was very young, and she was responsible for raising the whole family. You know, her, her father was handicapped. Know, was handicapped, but also. He was consumed with the yeshiva.
0: Was he handicapped all the years?
1: Since he, he was a teenager.
2: He what had, was his he handicap? Had a, like a, a, his leg, he had a dragon's leg. Really? Yeah. Uh, but he himself was just also a portrait of, of nobility. During the war, what she, what she went through, and she always maintained this sense of, of august nobility that it's hard for us to fathom. Regal. Yeah, very, very regal. And uh, we also know even after the war, even after the war, I noticed for a fact. After the war, she came to Eretz well, she It's a whole story. She ended up in Sweden. And that's where she met my grandfather.
0: I believe in the back of that book there are some writings about that. Yes,
2: yes. They went to Eretz My grandfather founded a yeshiva. What they had to endure during the early years of that yeshiva is unimaginable. The poverty? You the, mean? Po- the grinding poverty. Mm-hmm. And this is after the war. You know, in the... Jewish and democratic, of course, uh, state of Israel. She actually went through actual hunger, and mm. no one knew about it, no one knew about she She never allowed any of her own pain and suffering mm. to filter out in, in any way, which is an incredible, incredible strength and, and, and tenacity and, and fortitude. My grandfather himself didn't even know what she was going through. Wow, How do I know that? because I read the secret uh, writings that I cannot share but that's just you asked about her yeah she's very sweet very sweet I'm aware of it very sweet and, and
0: just their relationship must have been her magical. emuna,
2: her emuna, her, her faith
0: I could just picture them treating each other with such dignity and oh,
2: un- unbelievable unbelievable you know she come, came from a very prestigious family did she have any siblings that survived was she, there... uh, she was one of eight uh, four were killed and four survived mm-hmm. um giants all of them giants you know three three sisters uh, one married my grandfather one married uh, rabbi Kreisworth, the chief rabbi of uh, Antwerp and uh, and one married rabbi rosenberg who was the chief of slabatka like all Titanic, wow. and the brother that survived was uh, the great uh, Rabbi Yitzchak one of the most uh, special, special. My Sandek. That's right. One of the most special oh, people, uh, oh, really. Awesome. Well, uh, so, uh, someone you can't describe in words wow. just how special of a person they were. And then four of them uh, were killed: the three brothers, Eliezer, Velvel Zev, and Yisrael, uh, Yisrael and and, uh, and a sister, Miriam. Wow. Um, but uh, of those of that family, I hate to say it. She was the she was the greatest. She was the best. That's also uh, documented.
0: <laughs> Have that quoted. Wonderful. Okay. Well, this was really so special. just uh, wondering if our if our listeners want to get started on revolbi after hearing this, they want to. Where would you Where would you want them to start? Where would you think a good starting place to get to know revolbi and his writings would be?
1: I'd say probably "Zriyev Abinim Bichinuch," mm-hmm. planting and building. In translated
0: Hinoch. into English, also right?
1: It's, it's a phenomenal piece of work. Um, it's from four lectures that my grandfather gave, and I remember growing up, we used to have the cassettes that people would come, and we'd have to find you know, part one, two, three, four, put them in a rubber band and bring mm-hmm. them to the door. Uh, people would come to buy the, the series, but that eventually became into the Safer. A very, very small Safer, which I'm actually in the middle of teaching now to a whole group in Hebrew, and it's 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 unbelievable.
2: Phenomenal, yeah, I, I would second that. And just to bring it back to your earlier point, the whole major theme, the motif of the book, Obinion, That's an example of almost an academic way of of, of portraying an idea. You know that, that we he grow into ways. Yeah, this. that there's a building growth and, and, and its limitations and its abilities and, and the different timelines that it has versus the planting, and, and, and all that entails. So I I would say if I could, maybe add besides for that, that that's the only one really that's available in English. They have um, an anthologized. Uh, work on Chomish called Rav Wolby and Chomish that was put out by our brother-in-law. Did a fantastic job, uh, Volume 1, Volume 2. Uh, if you want to get a sense in some of the teachings uh, on Chomish, if someone um, can read Hebrew, uh, the the literary contributions of my grandfather are so unique. Even Aleish Shur, which is his magnum opus, right? The, even the even the Haskamas that he got. Mm. They all write that this is a book we've never seen before. You mm. can't describe it. It's, 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 it's a genre of book that there exists exactly one, one volume that, that fits into this genre. Really, two, because volume one volume two. He, I assume he worked really hard on that, and that was part of. Very precise. Worked very hard.
1: Volume one took him 13 years, volume two took him 15 years. Wow.
2: Yeah, but we also have access to his manuscripts. And the amount of unpublished material, because there's lots of others from that era. I see they're wrote. coming
0: out now with the ones, the other, the
2: ones, the the, the amount of unpublished writings. It exceeds the amount of published writings. Mm. So just very, very voluminous, and um, again, you, the, 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 the 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 listen, his his book that he wrote for our generation, is La Shore. It's La Shore, uh, volume one. It's really four different books that are merged together. But it's, it's a form of hadracha. It's called shari hadracha. This is actual guidance. You want guidance. You want to be told, have to be trained. It's about Chinuch after all, right? This is training. It's training in, in four different stages of your life. Volume one. Uh, volume two, I think it's a little bit easier. It's, mo- it's more user-friendly because he's not expecting as much from the reader as as he is in volume one. In volume one, he's telling he, he's telling you stuff, but you kind of have to understand what he wants you to do on your own. In volume two, he spells it out for you. Read so it's, it's a little bit easier to read. It's a little bit you know it's a little bit of, of, a, of a, a less terse uh, book. And and again, and the the instruction layer is much more mefurat. It's much more spelled out. Much more granular. Uh, but those are definitely if people hear people here are quoted every every. Uh, Yeshiva Shul Library has copies of it, and they are magisterial works, Ma- absolutely magisterial. So Wonderful. I would recommend that as well.
0: Thank you both so much for this really enlightening conversation. I feel like we could go on and on. There's just so much there. And uh, it's truly really inspiring that uh, to learn about your grandfather and the impact he had on all of Klai and on your families. So thank you so much.
2: Thank you, thank you. Robert Garfield, for uh, hosting us. I hope you have a lot of success with uh, your... Chinoch Today podcast, but also the Chinoch that you provide for our community and our children. We're very fortunate to have you in our community and to have your great skill and patience. I gather you may need some of that, (laughs) Uh, but uh, we really appreciate having you and thank you for having us on
1: the podcast. My pleasure. I second that. Thank you.
0: I hope you enjoyed that interview sitting down with Rebari and Reb Wolby. I've known them for many years. I knew Rebariyeh since I moved here, so 12, 13 years, and Rabiakov probably 10 years. And we've talked a little about their Zayda, but we've never really sat down like this. And it was such an enlightening experience for me to see the influence that he had on them and how meaningful the relationship they had and to get another perspective on this great giant that we know a lot about, but there's always more to learn. And there are so many pearls of wisdom about him and Chinuch and their experience of course, Mrs. Wolby, who is the daughter of Avram Krasinski, who in herself sounds like a remarkable, special woman. So I hope uh, this has been an insightful experience for you. And Amir Tzshem um, Mechazik you as a mechanach, really as a person, which ultimately does influence us all as a mechanach. And perhaps it will inspire you to delve into some of the writings of or, Wolby, the Alei Shor, the or the Sefer and all wonderful svarim. And thank you again for all of our listeners who continue to support our podcast by rating us. And of course, as you know, sharing is caring. So feel free to share this with someone that you might think would enjoy it. Thank you for joining us. This is your Achmiel Garfield. Have a wonderful day.